Welcome to the Frontier Psychiatrist Podcast. I'm your host, Owen Scott Muir, MD. This is Risperidone, the unexpected story of how I, quite literally, met my children's mother. My favorite opening line of an academic article this week follows. Mental illnesses are prevalent, cause great suffering, and are burdensome to society. Welcome to the Frontier Psychiatrist. I write the newsletter and podcast all by myself. I'm doing a series on medications largely, but not entirely, in psychiatry. I'm a child and adult psychiatrist, and I still see patients. I've also been a patient since I was 16 years old. Please consider subscribing and sharing widely. The first oral medicine introduced after clozapine was going to be a big deal in the antipsychotic class, especially if it didn't cause life-threatening side effects. Risperidone was first developed by Johnson & Johnson subsidiary at that time, Janssen Clegg, between 1988 and 1992, and was first approved by the FDA in 1994. It's one of the very few drugs with data for bipolar disorder that I, personally, have never been prescribed. Over the years, I've been treated with drugs including olanzapine, aripiprazole, acenapine, zeprazidone, quetiapine, lithium, carbamazepine, cariprazine, divalproex, oxcarbazepine, fluoxetine, sertraline, alprazolam, diazepam, primapexol, lorazepam, escipolacone, bupropion, trazodone, modafinil, dextroamphetamine, amphetamine, lamotrigine, dexmethylphenidate, and this is just off the top of my head and just for psychiatric indications. I've been through the ringer, I think it's fair to say, but never risperidone. Risperidone, Risperdol as a trade name, was ready to be a huge hit. It was presented as very atypical. This was post-clozapine branding of choice. The second generation label was added to these medicines years later. I have a confession to make. After residency, when the attending doctors told me as a trainee what to prescribe, I never prescribed risperidone ever again. I think this compound and paliperidone, its metabolite, still has an important role in managing schizophrenia. There are more formulations of long-acting injectable risperidone and related compounds than I can remember. I think those are going to be useful drugs for a long time. Oral risperidone, nope. Clozapine was an exciting drug. No horrible motor side effects, plausibly more effective, it was better than every drug that came before. It had this pesky adverse effect that could lead to death called a granulocytosis, which I addressed in my first research paper in 2011. We needed more drugs that were this atypical. We, the field of psychiatry at least, needed things that were not going to kill you abruptly in a terrifying manner, like clozapine had the rare potential to do but we didn't want more of the same old antipsychotics. After psychiatry got a taste of not having to explain permanent tardive dyskinesia as a likely side effect of antipsychotic medication, 
We wanted to keep doing that. Editor's note. It's still a side effect of all non-closed pain antipsychotics, and we should never have let our guard down. Risperidone was the first antipsychotic that came to market after clozapine rocked the world of psychiatry by being better. Risperidone is similar, and they even use the accidental branding of clozapine, atypical for this medication. The Food and Drug Administration approved indications for oral risperidone, tablets oral solution, and MTABs include the treatment of schizophrenia in adults and children aged 13 and up, bipolar 1 acute mania or mixed episodes as monotherapy in adults and children 10 and up, bipolar 1 acute mania or mixed episodes adjunctive with lithium or valproate in adults, and autism-associated irritability in children aged 5 and up. Also, long-acting risperidone injection has been approved for the use of schizophrenia and the maintenance of bipolar disorder as monotherapy or adjunctive to lithium or valproate in adults. The mechanism of action of all drugs that have efficacy in psychosis was presumed to be dopamine D2 receptor blockade, a mechanism shared with all of the prior medications from Thorazine or chlorpromazine through Haldol or Haloperidol. This assumption which clozapine disproved, was that motor side effects were required for the drug's efficacy in psychosis. This primacy of the D2 blockade as a mechanism of action has since been disproven. This is the mechanism that leads to gynecomastia, leading to a bevy of lawsuits from men who develop breasts and other related side effects, like galactorrhea breast milk from the breasts that can be on men or women who are not nursing, and erectile dysfunction. Dopamine. It does a lot of work in the brain, not just pleasure. The motor side effect profile was not true with clozapine. It had various additional receptors, particularly in the serotonergic family, 5-HT2A, for example, as well as alpha-adrenergic, histaminic and other receptor sites throughout the brain. This broad profile of different receptors explains the wide range of side effects. But more importantly, these are complex, messy, and hard to predict outcomes given the complexity of the brain. The complex pharmacology allowed psychiatrists like me to think hard about which particular witch's brew of receptors we would choose to tickle agonize or antagonize. It's very satisfying. I also suspect this is a story we tell ourselves that is not as closely moored to truth as we'd like. We enjoy thinking about science-ish stuff. Receptor binding profiles are seductive because they are knowable. Our patient's heart, hope, dreams, and heartbreak, less so. It doesn't escape my notice that while I'm recording that little bit, there's a police siren wailing in the background of the New York City night. Okay, back to the article. The most important feature of risperidone today, and its first order metabolite, paliperidone, is that it is deliverable as pills, rapid-acting dissolvable tablets, and 
long-acting injectable formulations, lasting between two weeks and six months between doses. A psychiatric treatment that isn't an oral once-a-day pill, one that you have to take twice a year, medicine that is intended for people who often, like many, feel conflicted about taking a daily pill, that is a big enough deal. That is real innovation. It considers human frailty, ambivalence, and common failures of mind. Not because it's a magic drug. Rather, long-acting medicine that doesn't make crippling relapse easy, thanks to good design, is exactly the kind of medicine that works. My second research effort was on the acceptability of such medicines in youth. It's responsible for my presence at the academic conference where I met my now wife. Oral medicines were so popular because they were easy to sell. Novel medicines and technology will be easy to take. The story of my fascination with the risks and benefits of these medications doesn't end there though. I still do research on these medicines and their adverse effects funded by NIMH for identifying tardive dyskinesia with machine learning and closed loop internet of things, physical medication compliance tech with my team at IRX Reminder and colleagues at Videra. We are enrolling a study now at Fermata in New York, the clinic where I work and other sites too. If you're interested, fermata.health is the website. And this has been the Frontier Psychiatrist Substack podcast. I'm your host, Owen Muir, and I also record and produce the show. Thanks for listening and share with your friends. Also, feel free to leave it a five-star review because those are a big deal on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.